Hi, I'm Claudia and this is the China Chats podcast. Today's guest is Kimberly Xie Smith. Kimberly is originally from the UK, but has lived in China for the last 10 years. Alongside her Chinese husband, they are raising their family to encompass the best of both worlds when it comes to their respective cultures. Kimberly is a drama teacher in an international school and has also worked in marketing for a large international company in China. Alongside developing her teaching skills, Kimberly has also participated in and taught workshop at ISTA's drama festivals in China. I am delighted to have Kimberly on the podcast, so without further ado, let's chat. So Kimberly, welcome to the China Chats podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. We're so happy to have you on. So Kimberly, let's start at the beginning with China. How and when did you go to China? So after finishing my degree at university, I was just looking at job applications, job interviews, and I had an interview in London for a job doing a theatre teacher job in China because my degree is in theatre. And they said, actually, the position is in Beijing. And I was like, where's Beijing? And then they were like, it's in China. It's just one year. So I spoke to my mom and was like, what should I do? They're saying like the job's not in London, the job's in Beijing in China. And she was like, just go. If you get there and it's terrible, come back. Like, just just give it a go. So I did. But little did I know it wasn't a theatre job. It was actually just an English training centre masked as like teaching theatre. Mm. So that's how I got there. And then I was, yeah, actually teaching English. Uh, although I could use some drama skills, but that's pretty much how I got there by accident. Wow. Okay. That that sounds familiar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so when you got to Beijing and you realized that it was teaching English rather than teaching drama, um, what was that like? How did you feel? I was a little bit annoyed, to be honest. I felt like I'd been scammed. Like, is this going to be like legit? Am I going to get paid? Like, what kind of like gig is this? But I just ran with it. I had nothing to lose. I just finished university. I didn't have any other job anyway. So I just ran with it and I ended up working for the company for the whole year. Wow. So you stuck it out for one full year in Beijing. Yeah. And did you have culture shock? Like how, how was that? You first touched down in Beijing and you hadn't been to China before, right? How how was that? Yeah. Year? To be honest, like I hadn't really traveled much i just maybe in europe and i knew nothing about china i didn't know how to say hello i didn't realize you know you had to eat chopsticks everywhere and i arrived at the airport and there was just uh, a woman holding a sign saying I just have my name on it follow me i don't speak english and i was like uh okay and you know the whole time in those situations you're thinking Am I going to be abducted? Like, am I going to be taken? What's going to happen? Well, I don't know. I was young, naive, and just ran with it. She took me to a restaurant. Plate of noodles came out. Only chopsticks, no forks, no spoon. I could barely eat anything. Didn't know what was going on. Um, but yeah, just I think because I was young and had nothing to lose. And you don't like, you know, it's a dangerous situation, but you know, 
you don't like now I would feel the danger more mm. but back then you're like oh let's just go with it so anyway she took me to an apartment then she took me to the company and there were some people that spoke English in the company so it felt a little bit more at ease okay well yeah that's yeah. definitely like walking into something that is different anyway with the job and then obviously you don't know the language you you can't speak Chinese you haven't tried no, proper what. Chinese food and like using chopsticks all the time so wow that's it's so intense so when you started the job and you started teaching English rather than drama that you thought you would be was it really different to what you thought it was going to be aside from the English slash drama situation yeah, I think it really was. I'd done this training in London for, you know, how a class would run, teaching drama. And it was like for young children as well, you know, a lot of singing songs and actions, puppetry, things like that. Mm. But this was like an office full of Chinese people that couldn't communicate in English very well. I had never had to communicate in any other language or even broken English up until that point. I had just spoke to English people my whole life. So, you know, I had to start slowing down my language and trying to figure out what they were saying to me. And so it was uh, just complete opposite, I think, to what I had like imagined it to be. Mm, yeah, I can, I can imagine. I feel like a lot of people, their first time in China, even if they do know something about China or they think they know a lot about China, when you hit the ground, it's still a whole other world. It's a completely yeah. different story. Okay. You got to China, you started English teaching. So you went there because of a job. What has made you stay there? Oh, it's been around 10 years now, as I moved in 2013. And initially, after that one year, I just thought, oh, you know, this job isn't really for me. The company was very small. Mm. Sometimes we got paid, sometimes we didn't. They would just forget or like say, oh, we haven't got the money this month. And it was, and it was low paid anyway. Looking back now, how did I survive in Beijing on that salary? I think it must have been around three, four hundred pounds a month. Wow. And, you know, I was still young. I was going out, buying clothes. I don't know how I did it. And I just thought, you know, I'm free. I've got my own life here. If I go back to the UK, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. Move back in with my mum, look for a job. So I thought, okay, let me just see what other jobs there are in China or somewhere. And since I was in this like teaching English training center role now, you start to like, you know, hear other expats talk about it. And there was a really big training center that there were like job opportunities all the time. So I applied for that, did the interviews, got the job. And I said, one thing is like, Beijing's a bit cold. I said, have you got anywhere hot? And they were like, yeah, we have training centers in the south of China. I was like, well, how far away is that? I was like, I didn't, I still at this point, even after a year, didn't know much about China, mm -hmm. like at all. Still, you know, I could speak a little, I could get by, I could get a taxi and order some food kind of thing, but it was pretty basic. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they said Guangzhou's at the bottom. It's close to Hong Kong. It's hot most of the year. I said, all right, I'll go there. And uh, so that's what I did. And then, yeah, fast forward a, a year and a half of being in Guangzhou and I met my now husband. So I guess that's what kept me here even longer. Okay, that's, that's so interesting. I think it's really cool the fact that 
even though you ended up in this job that you didn't realize it wasn't exactly what it said on the tin you ended up staying but not only did you stay but you transferred to a whole new location still within China with them that's that's insane and did yeah. they improve as a company like with regards to pay with regards to conditions and stuff like that did you find that they improved over the years yeah well it was a different company that I had gone with now so I like sort of left that company okay. applied for the new company and they were well established it had um they were really really good they sort of flew me into a hotel for two weeks they give you an iou so they give you a bunch of money to put a deposit on a flat yourself and then you just pay it back over the next three months like a little piece out of your salary and yeah they were really well known we had training and everything was kind of like more legit then mm. okay so like you mentioned that when you first moved to beijing you couldn't speak any Chinese whatsoever? No, not even ni hao, nothing. Okay, so like one of my questions for a lot of people listening and they haven't studied Chinese before, like Cantonese or Mandarin. So do you no. think it's doable for somebody to move to China not being able to speak any local language? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I did it and I knew nothing. So I feel like even if you looked up a tiny bit, you'd be better better off kind of thing but yeah absolutely there's always i mean that was 10 years ago but now there's always someone that can speak a little bit of english or someone that's willing to help and there's apps and lots of things you can do now to like sort of get by and even now i meet expats in china that still don't speak any chinese and they they get by just fine mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it's definitely changed, especially it's got a lot easier than mm-hmm. like the, like 10 years ago when you were first in China compared to now. It's completely different. Even a lot more Chinese people can speak English, which makes life so much easier. Yeah, definitely. Let's talk career. So you moved to China to teach. So what was your degree at uni? Was it teaching drama specifically? No, it was just theatre studies, like all round. So we did a lot of like backstage, lighting, stage management, also performing, studying acting. And then I had a module that I could choose, I think in my second or third year. And I did choose teaching. And Mm -hmm. I think when I was younger, I kind of always wanted to be a teacher, but I didn't know what in. But after doing my degree in theatre, I I kind of realised I definitely don't want to be an actress. Um... And so then I thought, well, I could just, I could teach there. I could, you know, be in a primary school or a secondary school. Or there's a lot of like theater companies that do it at weekends, drama clubs, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that was initially what I was looking for, which is why I got the interview of the job in London. Um, and then I fell into this teaching English training center by accident kind of career path. So then I went and got certificates, you know, in TEFL, CELTA, uh, TKTs, all kind of uh, teaching English Mm -hmm. in these training centers. And then I decided maybe I'm just doing this because that's what everyone does when they come to China. We go to an English training center and you go out all the time and the lifestyle is great. You go for massages and manicures and facials yeah. and hang out with your friends all the time. And it's kind of like going from university where you do all that kind of stuff to being paid to be in a profession to still continue that kind of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So I thought, let me come out of it 
and see something else. And that's when I fell into the marketing. I was actually tutoring the the owner of the company, one-on-one English lessons every day. Okay. So I would do that in the morning and then go to my full-time job, which started just after lunchtime because it went on into the evening. Um, and I asked him, uh, I want to leave my job. Can I, can I work for your company? Can I do something here? And he was like, yeah, sure. I'll give you like a marketing position. You can do like research on the Western world. It was like a fashion company. So I had to do a lot of research into that. And then whenever a project came up, like they were building a new office. So then I wanted research on types of furniture or a certain company that was going into companies and setting up the design of their layout or anything like that. Mm. So I would just be given tasks to go and research or that kind of stuff, go to fashion shows with them, like listen to what they were talking about in English and then bring that into our lessons with him that I still did. Okay. So yeah, he employed me there full time for just over a year. And the office job just wasn't for me. <laughs> I was like, no, I definitely want to teach. <laughs> it's definitely not for me. So um, I'm glad I tried it. But working that kind of nine to six, mm. sat at a desk every day, nonstop, um, it was tiring and boring. And I just wanted to do more. Yeah, the the nine to six, that's something I want to come back to in a minute, because I feel like even in China, it's more intense than, you know, like the UK, for example. But going back to China and how things work it's all about who you know, right? It's all about guanxi. I think there was just like a, a job post on WeChat or something like someone needed every single day, Monday to Friday, like nine till 10. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. So it was just him and he had, you know, I mean, he had a bunch of personal assistants, but one in particular was to come to these lessons with him. Um and liaise with me if he had to change it or if he was flying off somewhere, we'd have to do it, you know, over the phone or something. Um, But yeah, it was just from sitting in that office with him and it just took me to say, yeah, can you give me a job? (laughs) (laughs) And like you said, totally guangxi. Yeah, for sure. For China. I feel that's such a Chinese thing and it's only when you're like on the ground in China and you just end up talking to people and these connections are just made randomly. I think some people are really intentional about making connections and they know they want to network with certain people. But especially if you're a foreigner in China, people still want to learn English from a native speaker and especially business people who are really serious about, um, you know, like having business in the West and doing business with foreigners to them which would be western people like americans british whatever it is they want to make sure that their english is up to scratch so they're willing to pay money to have a private tutor like someone like you so i think like you said it's it's just something you can fall into by accident but end up getting an office job and it's something that could be really valuable like you said you learn so much by just sitting in that office also listening to what was going on around you and you were in such close proximity to the boss like the boss of the whole company which is insane so if we jump back into you worked in this company it's an international company you worked in it for a couple of years and you did the nine to six in an office job and you just realized it wasn't for you 
How intense is a ninety-six office job in China? Well, to be honest, I've never had an office job in the UK, so I can't really compare it to an office job here in the UK. But there, although it was an international company, it had fashion brands that were international. I was the only foreigner expat there. Everyone was Chinese. Everyone was local. I was the only one in the whole company. I kind of like they didn't even know how to do the like the insurance and the contract stuff. It was all new, and it was all just because the boss had said I'm employing her, so they just had to figure it out and get a contract that would would work for me and a salary that would work for me and everything. So. That was a struggle being the only expat. There's no one that you can kind of like really click with, or like、mm-hmm. you kind of you know with other expats when you're in China, you click on a level that like you're both expats in China. You experience somewhat of the same thing, but there was an office full of Chinese people, local people that would speak, you know, Mandarin, Cantonese. Sorry, this is <laughs> Daisy. <laughs> Hi Daisy, come here. She's so happy.、Do、you want to say hello quickly? Hi. Hello. Hi. Hello. It's <laughs> the cutest interruption. Yeah. So that. Yeah. Yeah. That was hard. Just being the only one.、Um, and I would say even at that point, my Chinese was still conversational level. Probably like I couldn't really understand everything that was going on. Although my direct line managers and colleagues around me, they could speak English,、mm-hmm. so we did help each other out with projects and things. But I still, I watched a lot of TV during that office job because they didn't have like a proper role for me. You know,、yeah. I was just thrown like stuff to do or projects to research. But other than that, and, and I'm quite good at time management,、mm-hmm. so I could do that. I could finish that job pretty quick, and then obviously I thought, well, if I if I send it in now that I've done it in just a couple of hours, they're going to scrap for something else to give me. And you know, after I realised I don't really want to do this, so I would just take my time or finish it early. And that's when I started thinking, oh, what else can I do here? So I went to the boss and said, how about I teach English to some of your staff as well? Like during the day, I could do that. So I put some classes together that related. So I had like all the designers that designed the clothes.、Mm. I put together a little like ten week English course for them. So and that was like where I was like, oh, I'm enjoying this. I get to meet all these cool designers and get them to design things and do activities, but we're doing it all in English, so they're learning more English.、Yeah. And then I would do the same for.、Um, You know the marketing team or different teams within the company, and so after a year, I was like, "Yeah, I want to teach. I I can't just stay here." Do you think that was a lot as, more as, as cushy as it was? Because <laughs> I was getting paid a lot to do not a lot, but I was like, I just can't do it. Do you think it was a lot more interesting for you then because you were teaching them English, but in relation to their job, so you also learned about marketing or about design or about all that different kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I learned so much there. Just being in that company culture as well, and having like, you know, we've got 
this Italian company coming to check out the office space. So you need to go meet them now. And, you know, some of it, it's not in our office hours there. Yeah. You know, a lot of China is like, yeah, you're working nine to six, but if I ask you to do something eight o'clock, then it's not like I'm asking you. It's like, you, you will do it. Mm-hmm. Like you are doing, it. you're expected to do all those things. Yeah. And a lot of the time I'd be the only person leaving the office at six. And, you know, we had to clock in and clock out with a card, but I was thinking, oh, God, why is no one else leaving? But they just are expected to work overtime, and they do. Mm-hmm. Whereas I was like, yeah, I want to leave at six. So I'd sort of be the only one clocking out at that time. And obviously, if you live in this, even I lived in the city, but traveling on the subway and stuff at that time is a nightmare. So I wanted to get out yeah. <laughs> quick. Otherwise, you won't get home till really late. I don't blame you because I I had like really similar situation in a Chinese company with a American born Chinese boss. So it was slightly different, but it was all Chinese coworkers. So it was very similar because I'll never forget the day that I realized why everybody stayed. You know, it was like six p.m. Everyone was finished work, even though some people were still working. Everybody was finished. You should be able to go home. But nobody wanted to leave before the boss. The boss was still there. So they they just weren't moving. Even if they didn't have work to do, they were looking busy or making themselves look busy just so that they didn't have to leave before he did, which, yeah, it's it's insane and it's really intense. And I think for people like you and I, you look at it and say, but I'm not being productive or I'm not being paid to be here so it kind of for us it defeats the purpose but for those things then like after work things did you ever have to go to like after work drinks or dinners or things like that yeah absolutely all of those especially because it was in the fashion business like some fashion shows some meetings um yeah dinners as well and the dinners are a strange one because you can't really relax and just chit chat as much, you know. You've got to eat everything that comes in front of you, even though you don't want to. You might even have to drink. You, you don't want to drink, but you kind of have to. Mm. Everything's kind of unspoken. You just have to do a lot of things that you don't really want to. And they're not really saying you have to do it, but you have to do it. How did you find learning things like that, like realizing through experience, oh, actually, I do need to drink even though I don't want to drink or I do need to go to this function even though they said oh you know it's optional or you don't have to but you you know that you have to how did you find learning stuff like that I think it was actually quite a nice experience to learn it that way I think if someone tells you before you go into it that's going to happen then you wouldn't sign up to do it you wouldn't do it but it was kind of like lots of pinch me moments you think oh god I'm sat having dinner with like these kind of people that are in this kind of line of work and you want to know more about them so it was just kind of out of like being a bit nosy and wanting to know more that you just keep going along with it all thinking this is actually really cool like I wouldn't experience this otherwise so that's why I would just like continue to do it yeah for sure so how did you find you finished you ended up realizing I really don't want this nine to six it's not I'm much more enjoying teaching these people English in my own creative way than I am actually being in this office five days a week. How did you find the transition back to full-time teaching then? So that was 
another kind of Guangxi uh, thing that happened. I was at an event in Guangzhou, a British day, and there was um, a stall and it had like drama teaching something. And I was like, God, I haven't seen drama teaching sort of since I was in Beijing and kind of conned out there. Um, everything up until then has just been like English teaching, English teaching. So I went over and was like, do you teach drama in Guangzhou? And there was um, a guy who ran his own company who would like go into different schools or run summer projects, winter projects, like camps and teach drama that way or go into like local government schools and do drama classes for the English students there. And so we met, we exchanged numbers, and he got in contact with me. And it was kind of freelance work. So you're just working on your own sort of whenever you want, and you get paid by the hour or how many hours you work. And so I started tutoring English and doing that. And that's how I slowly got back into the, the drama side of things, as opposed to like only teaching English. Okay, that's that's really interesting. It's again one of those things that happens by chance, and you can't. I feel like, especially in China, if you try to plan too much, there's no point. Things just happen by chance. Yeah, you can't plan for things. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. You never know that would happen. Yeah. So yeah, then I was, um, I guess, technically like not really working for anyone for probably two, maybe three years, just doing kind of freelance stuff and tutoring English <laughs> amazing so if um for example if there was somebody considering moving to China listening to this and it's somebody who maybe wants to teach English ESL as a second language or it's somebody with a degree in teaching that wants to move to China to get more experience what advice would you have for them oh well now it would be totally different I would just say get into an international school a hundred percent because now as you know that's where I am and I've been working in international schools only for three years now going into my fourth year um but after all the training centers and tutoring and you know being self-employed being in in an international school with all the benefits and the package it comes with i would say just look for a really good international school and and work there so what kind of things should they be looking out for like what what makes it good because i know that there are varying kind of levels of how good or bad a, a certain type of school can be so what would you look out for if you're looking for a package in an international school so I would say like they all offer pretty similar things which is usually like some sort of fee towards your accommodation uh, some kind of health insurance uh, and then a decent salary as well but I think the name of the school is something you shouldn't go by because they're all, as you know, in China called, you know, international school of this or of that, yes. but it doesn't necessarily mean they are international schools. Mm -hmm. I guess you'd have to do a lot of research online and try and, I guess the way I've gone through my life is by talking to someone, knowing someone, speaking to someone okay. instead of just like reading up online. So I would probably try to, do it that way myself if I was looking for another school which is actually how I ended up in the school I am in now I knew people that worked there mm. had their like first-hand experience to go off instead of just looking online yeah I think that's a very Chinese thing as well it's 
you trust somebody that you know their their opinion and it's word of mouth and that's kind of the biggest green or red flag for something it's like you can read a million <laughs> things online but if you know firsthand from someone that's worked there you feel so much more comfortable and confident to apply to to work in that school so that's yeah 100 percent. i used to work for a really big company with a great name um but it just it just wasn't uh, didn't turn out to be what i thought it was going to be so it's not always the what you read online really yeah 100 percent. i think that goes for a lot of different companies in china in all different industries <laughs> it's um there's so much false expectations or like false advertisements that yeah it really says a lot to be able to get a recommendation from somebody that you actually know So if we jump back into language for a minute, like you said before, you got to Beijing and couldn't speak any Chinese. You have been in China for 10 years now, and not only can you speak Mandarin, but you can also understand a lot of Cantonese. How has that been? Is everything self-taught? How did you come to learn all this? Um, I would say, yeah, it is pretty much self-taught. And even myself, I think, I, I don't know how I've done it, to be honest. You know, I'm just your average English girl that learns a bit of Spanish when they're at school. And other than that, that's it. Um, but when I was in Beijing, they they sent us for weekly lessons uh, with a teacher. But it was kind of just things, you know, like asking how much or I need to go here, like how to get a taxi, like how to survive, how to like buy yeah. fruit and veg. And it was useful. I guess I used those basics even now. I feel like you can uh, just learn the basics and get by on those for the next however many years. And you don't really need to know mm -hmm. much more. Um, and then when I moved to the, the South, I would um, buy textbooks. And, you know, you get together with some colleagues and you think, yeah, let's learn Chinese. Let's do it. And you all meet up and you've got your textbooks and you go through it and you learn a little bit of writing and it lasts you know a couple of weeks maybe a month and then you give up again I think oh whatever I can get home I can buy food <laughs> that's all I need to know but I think that on and off is really all the bits that I've learned and everything else has come from living there being asked the same questions all the time talking to people um yeah and with the Cantonese my, my husband's Cantonese obviously so that's just from hearing him talk all the time and knowing his mannerisms and, and like kind of guessing a little bit but also you know yeah. if he's talking about work or family the same words and sounds come up all the time so you can kind of guess what they're talking about yeah I feel like that's you make it sound a lot easier than it is <laughs> Like, I think that takes so much determination to you've learned all this by like accumulation over years and it's been practicing it daily, probably without realizing that you're practicing Mandarin or Cantonese daily, which is incredible. I think a lot of people wouldn't have the patience or the perseverance to be able to do that. So I think being self-taught like that is it's really incredible. Um, 
if you had advice for somebody who was starting to learn Mandarin or Cantonese, what kind of advice would oh, you give? I definitely them? have proper lessons. I wouldn't say <laughs> I wouldn't say doing it my way is um, the best way, really, because the lessons that I have had over the years with the company in Beijing, and also when I was at the marketing company, I had a tutor. She would come once a week, and she would sort of teach me a little bit more about the characters. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, my knowledge is pretty, pretty basic still. But you know, if it's got the like water sign, then it's something to do with water, and that's enough for me yeah. to now even look. Goes well, there's something to do with fire, or like something to do with a person, or something to do with water. But obviously, there that's only yeah. so many characters. Um, but what I learned from those lessons is probably more than what I've learned over the ten years, just guessing and getting by. So I think if you really do want to learn it, then get a tutor or get a teacher. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. It's definitely something worth investing in because the the small tricks and tips as well that they can teach you, it will help you learn things like building blocks to learn things so much faster than you would be trying to figure it all out. Yeah,、yourself. definitely. Speaking of learning a language and Mandarin and Cantonese, so you're married to a Cantonese man, and you guys have one little girl so far, and you're also pregnant with your second. Congratulations!、Um, Thank you. So speaking of Mandarin and Cantonese, you are British and he is Chinese, but you're raising your family speaking both English and Mandarin. Yeah, I actually just took advice from other. Expats, other other people in my situation that also、um, have different languages in their household, and just took their advice because what do I know? I don't know what I'm doing. So,、um, me and my husband, we speak a mixture of English and Mandarin.、Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's Cantonese, but although I can understand a little, I really can't speak a word. So, that's kind of out of the question for me.、Um, And they had given me the advice that one parent should speak one language. And I know there's loads of debates. You know, kids can learn three or four, or it doesn't matter. But we thought, look, we can see all these、uh, kind of kids in the same situation, mixed kids. Let's just learn from what they're doing. They're all a bit older and wiser than us.、Mm-hmm. So、um, one said I should only speak English and only accept English back to me. So that's what I did. And then there was a huge debate whether or not my husband should use Mandarin or Cantonese.、Um, and obviously, mostly only Cantonese people think he should speak Cantonese,、mm-hmm. and most Chinese people or expats would say use Mandarin. So we went for Mandarin,、um, and he should only speak and only accept that. To him as well, and when I say like accept it from the child, it's because we know some people where they might speak、uh, their mother tongue to their children, English or Swedish, Finnish, whatever it might be,、mm-hmm. and the child might speak back in whatever they feel most comfortable. So if they would just speak Chinese instead of speaking English to me, and then as they get older, they get used to it, and their spoken language. Will like not be as strong. Okay. So 
they might be able to understand it but not speak it so what we wanted to push was like the two languages both at like full capacity so she would only speak english to me so if she said something to me in chinese i either ignore it or tell her how to say it in english and in the beginning it's hard when they're like learning to speak and can't say much but i would you know even when they were when she was really little and she could only say like water she wanted a drink and she would say in Chinese, shui, shui. I would just say water. And even if she could just say, what? Like, okay, then I would give her the water, you know? Yeah. So it's not like I'm saying they have to be able to speak full sentences, but I would only accept that language to me. And now she's older, it's not a problem. Yeah. But I, in the beginning, it was harder. Of course. And I, I want to ask the question, you know, how has that been working out for you? But you've just described it's going well. And personally, Kimberly and I know each other really well and I've seen how her little girl interacts with both mommy and daddy and how she speaks with mommy in English and she speaks with Baba, her dad in in Mandarin. And I think you guys have obviously spent so much time teaching her both languages by interacting with her like that. And I think it's fascinating because she can flip so easily between English or Mandarin with whoever she's speaking to. Um, so I think it's a credit to both of you because I know it can't be easy, but I really do think it's a credit to both of you that you are able to persevere and to make sure that she's able to understand and communicate so well in both languages. Yeah. And, you know, people always, thanks for saying that the way, but yeah, people always still say, you know, what about Cantonese and you could do a third, it's fine, but we really just want to nail the two. and. So spoken, fine. But as now she starts to read and write, mm-hmm. I feel like we're going to need to just stick with the two to make the two native and like balance each other. So she's not better at English or better at Chinese. It's that she can read, write, speak and listen equally in both. Yeah, for sure. So you have one little girl and you're also about to give birth to your second you have spent most of your time during your both of your pregnancies in China. And then since you've had your little girl, you have also spent the majority of her life in China. Obviously, the cultures are really different. And I think parenting is super different. And things you do and don't do with regards to raising a child, with regards to behaviors, with regards to... Um, so many different things I think there is such a difference between for example the UK and China how has that been navigating being a new mom and just motherhood in general in China I'm laughing a nightmare maybe (laughs) (laughs) yeah you said it perfectly it's totally different they're they're worlds apart They're, they're almost opposites yeah in fact um I guess in regards to like behavior and setting rules and boundaries, I guess there's always going to be one parent that has like more of a say, I suppose. Luckily, it's me. Um, (laughs) So he's kind of good at if I just kind of sit down and explain to him, look, you know, things like in the beginning, just uh, I guess it's, I don't know about now, but certainly the way my husband was brought up, they would be, you know, just hit kind of casually, not kind of beaten up, but just mm-hmm. slap on the hand or on the arm or whatever. And I would 
just have to sit down to him and just totally explain to him like we can't hit her because then she'll think hitting's right and she'll do it to other children so we have to use our language these are things that we can do we can get down to her level we can say no we can like change our voice and I think once you just like really explain things and then you're both on the same page and you both move forward with doing the same thing then it's not a problem I guess the biggest problem is that those things come up all the time because they are worlds apart, like the yeah. two cultures and figuring that out. So, but yeah, that's kind of, I guess, how we do it. Just, and have you found have you found it difficult with regards to you and your husband are on the same page when it comes to X, Y, and Z, then you're out in public and you have this IE, this auntie, this older Chinese lady and she gives out to you for doing X, Y, and Z with your kid. Like, how have you found things like that navigating the pressures of other people who are not a part of your family or you don't even know, or even people that you do know, but they're not in your close social circle, their opinions or their kind of um, intrusive advice when it comes to raising your family? Yeah, that's a really great way of putting it. Intrusive advice that I didn't ask for. <laughs> That happens a lot there, and I'm realizing that now the more I'm in the UK, that no one comments on what you're doing here. Yeah, No one either cares or would just not say anything. But as you know, in China, everyone, stranger or not, has got something to say to you about what you're doing with your children, Mm -hmm. what they're wearing. They think the child is... um, too hot or too not cold. dressed appropriately like too hot or too cold or should be not eating or drinking a certain thing they will let you know and they will tell you and I guess the best way is just you have to ignore it or sometimes just say you know go away stop talking to me I don't know you <laughs> yeah um and actually my mum visited China and it was the first time that she had been to Asia and it was just after I had my little girl so that was actually something that she was more surprised by you know Mm -hmm. we're in the shopping mall and someone would just walk past and say your baby's cold you need to put a jacket on it and she'd be like who are you like it was so bizarre to her but I was used to it at that point so I could just ignore it and obviously, being an expat, you can pretend you don't understand most of the stuff they're saying anyway. But as I had like told my mum what they were saying, she's like, how dare they like talk to you or tell you what to do with your children? Yeah. So yeah, that's something massively different from China and the UK. Do you feel like you've really found your confidence with regards to not caring what people say, especially when you're in China? Yeah, I think when you speak to other expats and you realize like it's not just at you or your kid, it's just they do it to everyone. Yeah. And it's just kind of the way they are. It's easier to just be like, oh, whatever, just just, just ignore it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely sure. gotten easier as time goes on. And now I do feel like I could even say to them, actually, you're wrong. <laughs> and uh, no, I'm not going to do that because it's my kid. Yeah. yeah. You know your kid best, right? I think that that confidence, it comes with time. Like you said, when you spent more time in the UK now as well, and you've seen kind of the other side, I think the longer you've been a mom, the more confidence you gain anyway. But then also 
you can see the flip side and realize, oh, actually, I, I'm not unreasonable. You know, I it's okay to to tell people I know my child better than you, stranger. And it's okay to like stick up for yourself and your kid. Um, but yeah, I feel like it can't be easy, but um, you've definitely done a great job. And I feel I've seen you grow with your confidence, especially when it comes to motherhood and it comes to your decisions and as a family, what you guys want to do. And I think sticking to your guns will will pay off with regards to language and culture and then also with regards to the small things because the small things matter in your daily life as well so I definitely think it's not easy but you've done a great job yeah a hundred percent and on that note I think there's so much more pressure in China to be a certain parent or do a certain thing a certain way than there Mm -hmm. is here in the UK because no one cares what you're doing with your kids here. They're not, you know, you care about your kids. But, you know, what that mum over there is doing with her kid in the UK, you know, I don't look, I'm not bothered, I'm not interested, and the same goes them for me. Mm-hmm. Whereas in China, there's so much more pressure to dress them a certain way and feed them a certain food and they can't have this kind of water or that kind of water and this kind of food, that kind of food, whereas here... You, you just kind of do your best, do what you can, and that's okay. Yeah, 100%. I completely agree. I feel like in China, it's also like the collective and everybody's always in competition with each other and it builds and builds and builds to the point of no return, you know, like especially with kids, especially um, with regards to like after school classes or education yeah. or everything. I definitely think when it comes to having a kid a kid gets to be gets to have more of a childhood in the UK than they would in somewhere like China I know it's similar in like Malaysia Singapore places like that but especially in China there's so much pressure on them from such a young age that they they don't get to play they don't get to be a kid yeah 100% luckily we're in an international school where in the the kindergarten setting that my daughter's in they do get a lot of play and they learn a lot through play but Mm. Um, even while we've been in the UK, I mean, it's summer holidays, right? But I, we still do daily practice with her, with her, like in regards to what she's learned for the past school year, yeah. recognizing some Chinese characters and recognizing her English alphabet, starting to put them together, practicing her shapes, her colors, tracing, mm. you know, all that kind of stuff. Whereas here, it's like, summer holidays what are you doing like you don't do daily practice here in the summer holidays yeah but that's like a influence from China that I guess now is kind of installed within me Mm -hmm. I'm like oh I can't let her like get behind because she'll go back into school and then she won't know everything she would have forgotten everything and then she'll be behind all the other kids and she'll struggle so I guess yeah China's influenced me a little bit now (laughs) Yeah, I think it's kind of unavoidable in a way, though, especially with education and stuff like that. You might not want to do it, but you're in the position where you're almost doing a disservice to your child if you're not helping them get a leg up because they're going to feel more pressure than as they get older, which is a shame. But I don't think it's something you or I can change, especially with regards to even if you look at Chinese kids in public schools, there's even more pressure because you have the gaokao, you have like the, the high school exam to get into university. Yeah, exactly. And it's just pressure that builds and builds and builds. And yeah, I mean, it's it's really difficult. But I think 
for your kids that are going to be so lucky to go to an international school actually get to play and be kids I think um yeah it's going to be such a fantastic experience for them and for you yeah and to be honest even though they do get to play a lot and they do learn through play even at her age they're they're still doing things that are too advanced for their age Mm. there is still even in that like really holistic great environment the influence of just being in China is still like greater than what she would do if she was in the UK. Do you think you can use it to your advantage or do you wish there was just a little bit less pressure there? I actually kind of like it. I think, great, my kid's going to start out like knowing so much more than I ever did or, you know, she's going to have kind of like a head start if we leave China and we you know we go somewhere else I'm like well at least you'll have a great foundation so I kind of like it okay that's yeah that's really interesting I think as a mom you see that she's kind of not getting a head start but it's for her own good that she will also be slightly ahead of her for example peers in the UK so yeah yeah that's super I mean don't get me wrong like if she was crying or didn't want to do it or was like no then it would be different but she's young she loves it she thinks learning's great she thinks we're playing games and yeah in fact she's just learning more things so you know if she can just keep enjoying it then it's easy to just continue and think well result she's liking it too so <laughs> enjoy win, that win. for the next couple of years until <laughs> yeah <laughs> until she realizes <laughs> yeah I'm sure it'll change <laughs> I think uh, especially with regards to different cultures China and the UK and raising kids you we could talk about that all day there's so much there yeah. um but I think what we've chatted about so far has been super interesting but um I have one final segment that i want to ask you some this or that questions so this is a quick fire it's a quick fire round and i have six questions so if you know anything about (laughs) no they're just fun questions but if you know anything about china there's a reason that i chose six questions it's a lucky number so uh six questions this or that and uh here we go so the first one is beijing or shanghai shanghai Shanghai. Okay, why Shanghai? I've actually only been there, I think, once. But, I mean, I lived in Beijing for a year. It was great, but Shanghai had uh, more of an expat vibe to it and it was, like, I guess, cooler. Mm. So I'll yeah, just go sure. with Shanghai. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number two. Hot pot or Korean barbecue? Korean barbecue all the way even you take korean barbecue over like chinese hot pot like heidi lao any day <laughs> i think you're in the I wrong love country korean barbecue yeah <laughs> okay interesting the next one number three noodles or rice neither but rice i suppose <laughs> you've lived in china for 10 years and you don't want noodles or rice you're sick of it yeah, honestly, I'm I'm just not like a big food person, so I'll, I'll eat whatever's in front of me. But just a bowl of noodles or a bowl of rice, neither like scream excitement for me. But yeah, I would I would take rice over noodles. Okay, okay. Uh, next question: Taking the metro at rush hour, so taking the the underground in China, the metro, uh, taking that at at rush hour, for example, in Guangzhou, line three at rush hour, or being stuck in traffic in a DD in a 
Chinese uh, car ride share? Chinese Uber. If I'm alone, I think I'm actually going to go with the subway. But if I'm with my daughter, then I'm going to go for the DD. But yeah, if I was alone, I think I'd take the subway, put your headphones in and just let it happen. Yeah, just embrace embrace the crush and the lack of personal space. Yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah, I think I I think I choose the same. Um, number five, lose your passport or lose your phone. I think I'd go with lose my passport. I'd choose the same. Why? What's your rationale? <laughs> well, I mean, if I was in England, I I just apply for a new one. Actually, the same. If I'm in Guangzhou, I would just apply for a new passport. No bother. But losing my phone, I would just lose everything. Mm-hmm. Not just like the pictures and the memories, but the bank details, like how to do everything in China. I need the phone. So yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Lose the passport. <laughs> a passport is easy to get a new one, but in China, you literally cannot survive without your phone. No, hundred percent. And the last question I have for you, I think this is a very easy one, but WhatsApp or WeChat? WeChat, 100%. Definitely WeChat. You can just do everything on it. WhatsApp is like only talking, right? Yeah, I feel like WhatsApp honestly is just useless. If you compare WhatsApp and WeChat, WeChat wins hands down every time. 100%. WeChat all the way. (laughs) I wish in the West, I wish like in the UK or in Ireland that we had an app that was anywhere close to WeChat with functionality because there is such a gap in the market for that. WeChat can literally do everything. Yeah, I completely agree. I love WeChat. Me too. (laughs) Okay, Kimberly, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, We love chatting to you you. and uh, hopefully everybody else has enjoyed listening to this. But thank you so much and we'll speak again soon. Yeah, see you soon. Thank you so much for having me. And that was my insightful conversation with Kimberly Shea-Smith. All of Kimberly's socials are linked in the show notes below, including the link to her blog, where she details life, career and motherhood in China. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a follow and a review on whatever platform you're listening on. And if there is anybody that you would like to hear on the China Chats podcast, just pop us a DM on Instagram and we would be more than happy to get them on. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you next week.